Between all the 2021 opponents that blew out the South Carolina Gamecocks this past season, which one of these games could South Carolina flip into the win column in 2022? I'll be discussing that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I am your host, as always, Andrew Lyon, and for today's show, I want to get back to looking ahead to the 2022 season since, obviously, we are in the middle of SEC media days right now. And because of that, we are now fully immersed into talking season and are gearing up for the upcoming fall camp and start of the 2022 college football season. So, for today's show, I'm going to discuss the Georgia, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Clemson matchups for South Carolina this upcoming season. All games where South Carolina was completely blown out of the water this past year, and Talk about how South Carolina could win each of those games. Not saying that they're going to win all four, but again, just giving reasons for why South Carolina could win either of those games. And at the end, I may even give a ranking on which game I think South Carolina is most likely to win out of the four. I'll be going over all of that on today's show. Before I get started, as always, thank you for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. If you're new to the show, we're free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast daily. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with South Carolina's first matchup they will play out of these four, and that is against the Georgia Bulldogs in week three. Now, last season, South Carolina played against the Bulldogs in Athens, Georgia in week three also, and they lost to the Bulldogs 40-13. to It wasn't a game that was really particularly close up after about eight, nine minutes really into the first quarter. First quarter was kind of close, but then second quarter, especially late, and then the whole second half, South Carolina just could not really keep up with the Georgia Bulldogs at that point. There was just too big of a talent gap, and it was Shane Bieber's first really big test as a head coach. I mean, when you consider the fact that South Carolina played Eastern Illinois in Week 1, an FCS team, and then played East Carolina in Week 2 on the road, which, granted, did end up being a much tougher game than even I expected, but it was East Carolina. East Carolina is not Georgia in any stretch of the imagination when it comes to football. Now, looking at where this game fits on the schedule for both of these teams, for South Carolina, they played Georgia State in Week 1 at home, and then at Arkansas in Week 2 before playing Georgia in Week 3, and South Carolina plays Charlotte after the Georgia game. For Georgia, they play Oregon in Week 1, a really big game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, before they play Sanford in Week 2, then of course they play the Gamecocks in Week 3 on the road, and then they play Kent State back at home in week four. Now, why is it South Carolina could win this game? Well, the first thing that I would throw out there is it's very early in the season. And while I understand that Georgia is the reigning and fending national champions from 2021, you have to understand with an entire offseason and summer program that you end up going through before you end up playing another 60-minute football game, 
no matter how much experience you bring back, you're going to have a little bit of rust to shake off early on in the season. Now, Georgia, of course, will get the Oregon and Sanford games in weeks one and two to do just that. But Oregon, while I believe they will put up a little bit of a challenge against the Bulldogs, um, you know, I think that's still going to be very heavily in the favor of Georgia. And then Sanford, it's Sanford. I mean, you can name your score pretty much for that game. So South Carolina stands to be the first real big test for Kirby Smart's team coming off of a national championship in 2021. They have a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball. Now, does that mean that Georgia does not have a lot of talent returning on that side of the ball? No, it does not. Georgia still is stacked to the gills with four and five star talent on first, second, and third strength. They've got a lot of talent to where, you know, they probably got a lot of guys who could start on many other football teams in this conference. So that's not going to be an issue for Georgia. But the reason why I think that this is going to be an interesting factor to watch going into this game is I think that because this defense has so many new faces, because it'll be a lot of guys who are going to be the man at their position, which again is much different than being able to go into a game for say 20, 30 snaps as a rotational player. I think that Stetson Bennett, the quarterback for Georgia, who obviously, you know, there's actually still a debate out there on whether or not he is the guy that should be QB1 for Georgia. I think that Stetson Bennett is going to really have to help carry this team a little bit more early in the season. Now, does Stetson have to do all by himself? No, obviously he doesn't. He's got a stacked tight end room. Obviously, you start off with Brock Bowers. You get Eric Gilbert back. If he is completely good with everything in his personal life and off the field, then he could really be a big added weapon to the offense. You got Lad McConkey over at wide receiver. And of course, you got the rest of the tight ends and Darnell Washington and even Oscar Delp and probably even a couple other guys that I'm not even able to think of off the top of my head, plus the running backs that they got behind him. So Stetson's got a lot of players in a supporting cast they're going to be able to help him early in the season. But Stetson, in my opinion, is going to have to really show in this game why he should still remain the starting quarterback for Georgia. I think he's going to have to make more big throws than he usually is asked to make. And I think that, you know, if South Carolina's offense could catch Georgia's defense napping early in the game, I think that will be very important when the time comes. Then this game could end up being a little bit more high scoring than Georgia potentially bargained for. And maybe they won't be able to rely as heavily on the defense like they were able to last year. And with South Carolina's schedule, getting back to that, South Carolina definitely plays two really tough games at, to start off the year. Georgia State's a very underrated opponent. They won eight games last year. Sean Elliott used to be a coach at South Carolina. His players are going to play their hearts out for him, and they've upset SEC teams before and nearly upset Auburn last year on the road. That's not going to be an easy game. At Arkansas, I should really have to explain to y'all who follow college football enough why that's going to be a tough game. The running game that they bring, really physical offensive line, Sam Penn it's done great things over there with Arkansas. They're still very talented. KJ Jefferson getting very disrespected, in my opinion, this offseason. He's one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. Arkansas is going to be a really big challenge in week two. But the other thing that you could say about these games, based on sort of the double-edged sword 
which you know basically means that either one thing could be true or the other could be true. You could say Saucon will be a little bit more beat up and they'll have to showcase more of their playbook in these two games. And yeah, that could be true. But what could also be true compared to Georgia is South Carolina could be more battle tested and therefore potentially more prepared for a game of this magnitude because of who they have to play in weeks one and two. It's an important thing to think about with the start of the season. And to top things all off, this game is at home. And historically, South Carolina has always seemed to match up better with Georgia compared to a lot of other teams in the East, with maybe the sole exception being the Florida Gators. Georgia fans would not like to admit this to South Carolina fans' faces, but listen, when South Carolina is a good team, Georgia fans definitely worry a little bit more. They take notice because they understand that when South Carolina is good, even if South Carolina doesn't have maybe that same talent level that Georgia has, South Carolina, if they have good enough coaching and good enough talent, then they can find a way to beat Georgia any given year. 2019, South Carolina was a four-win team. Georgia went on to win 11 games in the regular season. They couldn't beat South Carolina at home halfway through that season. Anything can happen in a Georgia-South Carolina football game. There have been some really good games in the past 10, 15 years, and this could be no different heading into the Georgia-South Carolina matchup early on in the 2022 season. Now, of course, South Carolina also plays a couple of teams in Texas A&M and Tennessee this upcoming season. How could South Carolina potentially win either of these matchups? I'll get into all of that in just a couple moments after a quick message from my friends over at Built Bar. The people who invented Healthy and Tasty. And from these same people comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've all probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar. But guess what? Your friends at Built have given Coconut Brownie Chunk the Puffs treatment. That's right. The Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. They are good for you. They're low in calories. They have low sugar content. They're high in protein, and it's all delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time, so go to Built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. They are going fast because they taste amazing. All Built Bars are also made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently, and it provides tons of health benefits. The best part about Built Puffs, besides the 100% real chocolate, is that you can enjoy them guilt-free because they are actually good for you. They're the perfect treat. Perfect when you've got a craving. Maybe you need to satisfy your sweet tooth. Or if you need a quick, healthy snack after a workout. They're an excellent source of protein. Delicious coconut, rich, sweet brownie, and creamy marshmallow. So stop fantasizing and get to Built.com now to order your box of Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Puffs today. And if you're looking to save money with the trying times we're going through right now, we've got you covered there as well. When you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off of your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Go right now while the offer lasts. And after you've bought those Built Bars, you may be sitting there and asking yourself, which NFL stars potentially move the betting lines the most? Well, since July 18th, Locked On has been giving you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Again, available since July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube. 
All right, so moving on from the Georgia game, let's now talk about the Texas A&M matchup. So South Carolina plays Texas A&M in Week 8 this season. Same deal from last season playing the Aggies in Week 8, where South Carolina took an absolute drubbing from the Aggies in College Station, losing the game 44-14. to Now, when looking at where this fits in on the schedule for both these teams, for South Carolina, they do have a bye week before the Texas A&M game. They play at Kentucky the week prior to the bye week, and then they play Missouri after the Texas A&M game. For Texas A&M's side of things, they also have a bye week before playing this game, but they play at Alabama before the bye week and Ole Miss at home after the South Carolina game. So A&M definitely looking like they've got a tougher stretch to deal with from an opponent aspect for this portion of the season. Now, why could South Carolina win this game? Well, to start off with A&M's starting experience returning, A&M only returns 11 starters overall, six on offense and five on defense, according to Phil Steele's preseason college football magazine. The Aggies also lost defensive coordinator Mike Elko, who had made the Aggies defense one of the best in college football over the last several years. And the Texas A&M Aggies went out and replaced Mike Elko with Ole Miss defensive coordinator DJ Durkin. Now, if I stacked up Mike Elko and DJ Durkin side by side, I would say that Mike Elko is the better defensive coordinator. Now, Durkin, of course, did do wonders with Ole Miss's defense last year, considering the amount of talent or maybe in certain cases lack of talent they had at certain spots, how bad they performed in the 2020 COVID season. He had made some adjustments to the scheme for the Rebels, changing to a mainly 3-3-5 defense. And this same defense gave the A&M Aggies fits at Ole Miss this past season. And it's clear based off of that that it really showed Jimbo Fisher a lot about how DJ Durkin is as a coach in the sense that if Mike Elko were to leave very soon, that he would maybe not have to look too far for his replacement. And that's what Jimbo Fisher did. Although I have to say, DJ Durkin is a guy that is sort of cut from an old school cloth in terms of the way he coaches up his defense. He's going to, of course, want his guys to be very physical. He's going to try to be aggressive with the first six, seven guys or the guys that are in the box at the line of scrimmage. That's how DJ Durkin wants his defenses to play. And while he's definitely going to have more talent at A&M, I don't know if it's necessarily a coaching upgrade compared to Mike Elko. It'll be interesting to see sort of how all that plays out. The Aggies also, despite the fact that they have a bye week before the Sacramento game, I'm really going to wonder how much they have emotionally recovered from the Alabama game. Listen, you don't need me to take too much of a deep dive into this game to understand that there's going to be a lot of storylines heading into it. Obviously, with what Nick Saban said about A&M and their recruiting with NIL earlier this offseason, the way Jimbo responded in such a loud and boisterous way with his press conference that he held the next day. And obviously, you know, an old adage in college football is players or even really sports in general is that players take after their coach. So if Jimbo gets all riled up and fired up for this game, knowing of course that he's going to want to win, the players are going to take after him. And because of that, there's going to be a ton of attention put on this game. It's obviously going to probably be nationally broadcasted on CBS and so there's going to be a lot of bragging rights involved with that. A&M beat Alabama this past year. Jimbo became the first ever former Saban assistant to defeat the greatest of all time at Alabama. So with all of that, if A&M goes into Tuscaloosa and let's say Alabama's ready for him this year, 
A&M's just lost too many players, and they get ran out of the building. Then how long does it take for them to recover from all that? How much emotion have they spent heading into another tough road game at South Carolina? I think they even play at Mississippi State the week before they play Bama. So A&M's got a decent stretch where they're going to be away from the 12th man in Kyle Field at College Station. So when you look at all of that, there's definitely a lot, especially on the schedule side of things, that does not favor the Texas A&M Aggies. Plus, you look at the experience returning for both teams. South Carolina holds the edge there as well. And this game is at home. So South Carolina definitely seems like they could have a lot of different factors that give them an advantage in this game. And then you look at Tennessee in Week 12. Now, last year, of course, this was a game that was pretty much over not long after it started. As Tennessee got a bid early on the Gamecocks in the first quarter and wound up defeating the Gamecocks 45-20 to in Knoxville back in Week 6 in 2021. Now, looking ahead to the 2022 season, South Carolina plays the Tennessee Volunteers in Week 12. But before they play the Volunteers, they play the Florida Gators on the road, and then they play their arch rivals, the Clemson Tigers, after they play Tennessee. And then for Tennessee, they played Missouri the week prior to the South Carolina game, and then at Vanderbilt the week after. So from a schedule standpoint, this definitely favors the Tennessee Volunteers in this aspect. Now, why could South Carolina beat the Volunteers? Well, one factor could be that Tennessee's offense isn't going to catch people by surprise this time around. Now, I want to be abundantly clear with this point here. When I say, when I make that statement, I am not saying that this means that Tennessee's offense is going to fall off a cliff, that Head and Hooker is going to turn around and have a above average to average season at quarterback, and that they're not going to score points. Tennessee's offense is going to score points. Tennessee's offense statistically is still going to be one of the best in the country. But I will say this. I think that Josh Heupel definitely had the advantage of having been out of the SEC for a few years. He's really one of the last guys from sort of the Chip Kelly era of college football when he was at Oregon that runs such a fast-paced, up-tempo, no-huddle offense. Now, the up-tempo, no-huddle can still be found at many programs across the country, but no one runs it like Tennessee, when basically they are only taking about 8 to 12 seconds before the ball is snapped for the next play after one play has just concluded. And I have to say, I think that he definitely got some benefit from the fact that it had been a few years since coaches had to prepare for that. But this upcoming season, that's no longer going to be in their favor. They're not going to have the surprise factor anymore. And I think that South Carolina's defensive coordinator and Clayton White with the 4-2-5 defense he runs, I think Clayton White this time around is going to be very prepared. I think he's going to make some adjustments schematically for this game alone. And I think that overall, the Gamecocks defense is going to definitely have a chip on their shoulder heading into this game. This game definitely stung and probably hurt some guys' confidence the way that things went down in Knoxville this past year. And so the defense is definitely going to come out there with a chip on their shoulder. And from a coaching perspective, I think that they will be more ready. And when you look at Tennessee's defense, while they performed above expectation last year, their defense still wasn't great. And they lose some guys up front and in the secondary. Of course, you look at a loss like Alante Taylor at cornerback, that's considered to be one of the biggest losses for the Tennessee Volunteers. And based on Phil Steele's 
College Football Preview Magazine for the 2022 season. Tennessee doesn't return any starters on the defensive line. The same defensive line that had 34 sacks total this past season. Pretty high mark in the SEC. So the linebacking core obviously seems like they're still going to be good. But again, this Tennessee offense, if they still continue to do well and they're scoring in bunches, but very quickly, this defense is going to be out on the field a lot more this season, just like they were last year. And last year, Tennessee really didn't have a whole lot of depth on defense to the point where they were really worried about how much injuries could derail that side of the ball. Tennessee seemed to be pretty fortunate for the most part in avoiding the injury bug. But if that happens to take place this year, Tennessee's defense could end up being in serious trouble in certain games, especially against the Gamecocks, where they really upgraded the talent level at almost every single position on the offensive side of the ball. And of course, the last factor for the Tennessee game is the fact that the Gamecocks do play them at home, just like they played Georgia at home and Texas A&M at home as well. Now, the last game from this past season where South Carolina was blown out and they play the same team again this season is the Clemson Tigers. Now, obviously, South Carolina will be playing Clemson in the last week of the regular season in week 13, and the same week that South Carolina played Clemson last year, South Carolina would lose the game in Columbia by a score of 30 to nothing. I think it was the first time since like the late 80s, early 90s that an opponent had been shut out in this rivalry series. Now, from the scheduling aspect, South Carolina, of course, plays Tennessee before they play at Clemson. And then for Clemson, they play Miami the week prior. So I'm not going to try to split hairs here between Miami and Tennessee because I think both programs are really solid. I think they got a lot of talent. And neither game for either Clemson or South Carolina is going to be easy for them to win. So neither team's going to have really a big advantage of basically having a cupcake game to sort of prepare for the rivalry game. Now, why could South Carolina win this game? Well, one factor to consider is that Clemson's offense still has question marks on offense, especially at quarterback and offensive line. You look at what DJ Uliangalale did this past season. DJ had so much hype going into the year. He had a commercial with Dr. Pepper. He had done well in two different starts he had in the 2020 COVID season. And Clemson fans sort of thought that he would just walk out there and be the next great Clemson quarterback after what Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence had done. Well, it did not work out that way. And a matter of fact, the passing game, quite honestly, held this offense back a great deal. DJ did not play well really at all last year. He had some moments where he would do really solid in terms of placing the football in spots where only his receivers could get the ball, but there was far too many times where he just got rattled too easily. If there was any pressure whatsoever in the pocket, DJ's accuracy would just drop off of a cliff. And then the offensive line, Admittedly, it's not all on DJ Uyangule what happened last year. This offensive line was not good enough in pass protection, especially when they faced defenses that had solid enough athletes up front who could actually go toe-to-toe with them from an athleticism standpoint. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback and offensive line play. I still think that Clemson has some solid running backs back there, and I really like the two wide receivers they got in Joseph Ningata and Bo Collins, but they also might need a third wide receiver to step up in that group so that Collins and Ngata don't feel like they've got to literally make all the plays out wide. And you compare that with South Carolina's offense. South Carolina as I mentioned earlier, has really upgraded the talent exponentially on the offensive side of the ball. And in my opinion, part of the reason why South Carolina got shut out 
against Clemson this past season was because flat out the offense just did not give the defense enough help. It wasn't like that Clemson scored three, four touchdowns in the first half and the game was pretty much over by halftime. South Carolina was only down 17 to nothing after the first half and 20 to nothing in the third quarter. Now, obviously, Clemson at that point it had pulled away and it didn't look like South Carolina was going to ever really get back in the game. But my point is this. Imagine if last year's offense was this year's offense with the additions of Spencer Rattler, Austin Stockner, Corey Rucker, Antoine Wells, all the other guys, Christian Bill Smith at running back, Nate Atkins at tight end, all the talent and the experience that they bring back. You put that in last year's game, that game would have been, in my opinion, a much closer ball game because Clemson would have had to respect the quarterback that was back there under center and in the shotgun. So, and to give you an example, the offense was 4 of 16 on third down against the Tigers this past year. So I think South Carolina's offense definitely is going to make this game much closer than it was last year. Also, from the coaching aspect, the Clemson Tigers are replacing both offensive and defensive coordinators. Quarterback coach Brandon Streeter is taking over on offense, while defensive analyst Wes Goodwin will be taking over for them on defense. Now, Wes Goodwin, in my opinion, we're not going to be able to really fairly judge him in year one. It'll be his first year as a position coach, as far as I know, at Clemson. You rarely ever see an analyst take a big jump from being a guy that's mainly studying film and is in the booth to all of a sudden now, he's in charge of the entire defense and what all is going on in practice and the like. But Goodwin still has a lot of talent to work with. So this first year, I think the talent is going to help make up for all that. Offensively, I really question this hire by Clemson. I understand that Dabo has built up a really big culture there at Clemson. And clearly from these hirings, Dabo has just doubled down on what the Clemson culture is and is basically pushing all his chips to the middle of the table saying, I'm all in on the guys I have in this building. I don't need to go outside the building and hire anybody else. But obviously, that could end up backfiring on him if just one or two of these guys end up not panning out like he thought they would. I think that Brandon Streeter, him being the quarterback coach, the same coach of the five-star quarterback who last season already didn't play that well. Now, you could say that it's a benefit for DJ, maybe, that Brandon Streeter is not going to be able to coach him as closely because of what now he has to do from a play calling perspective and looking over the entire offense. But either way, both of these guys are new coordinators. They've not been coordinators before as far as I know. So when they have games where they face really competent coaching staffs, I think it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out for the Clemson Tigers. This could be an interesting factor to watch in this game. And then lastly, on the defensive side of the ball, the Tigers have a great defensive line. You're not going to hear me argue that at all. With Breesy up front, Miles Murphy, KJ Henry, Xavier Thomas has always had all the tools athletically. And that's not even considering all the other guys that the Tigers have who are NFL caliber defensive linemen. I get all of that. But Clemson does lose a ton of experience in the back seven on defense. They lose linebackers James Skalski, who seems like he was there for seven, eight years, and Balin Spector. They also lose safety Nolan Turner, who was a starter back there at safety for like three, four years at least for him. And they also lose cornerbacks Mario Goodrich and Andrew Booth. And to let y'all know just how much experience and how much production they've lost from these guys, the guys I just mentioned were five of the top nine tacklers overall for Clemson's defense last year. And yes, like I mentioned with Georgia at the beginning of the show, 
And yes, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show with Georgia, this does not automatically mean that Clemson's going to fall off a cliff. But I do have to say, Clemson does, I think, need to be a little bit worried about the inexperience they have in the back seven. Obviously, they're still going to have guys at linebacker like Trenton Simpson and uh, Trotter who could step up there. And they do have some talent at cornerback. I would say the safety position, if there's one position you could point to and say, I'm not sure if they're really that deep from a talent standpoint compared to the other positions, I would maybe say that it is the safety spot. But again, either way, Clemson is, you know, what, what they've built for the last several years, they're going all in on the guys they got in the building. They're not really worried about bringing in outside guys. And it's an interesting strategy considering where we're at in college football at this point in time. So again, Going to be a lot of interesting storylines that are going to be playing out here for Clemson heading into this game. And obviously, this is the Palmetto Bowl. This is a really big and heated rivalry, one that has maybe lost some luster because of Clemson's dominance over the last several years. South Carolina, of course, going into this game, would like to change all that this upcoming season. So if I had to pick one game out of these four, I think South Carolina is most likely to win. I really like the Texas A&M matchup. I understand A&M has a bye week after the Alabama game, but in my opinion, A&M, they got some question marks at quarterback in terms of who's going to start for them. Their receiving department is all right, but their running game has carried them for several years now. They lose a couple guys up front on the offensive line, and they also lose some really big players for them on defense, and they're replacing Mike Elko as the defensive coordinator. So there's a lot of unknowns, in my opinion, with A&M. Not to say, again, that means they're going to be a bad team, but when you consider the schedule, where the South Carolina game falls, the emotions coming out of the Alabama game, and the experience factor with South Carolina having the advantage there, you know, this game, in my opinion, matches up favorably for South Carolina. And, of course, South Carolina could end up winning any of these other three games as well. But if I had to pick one right this moment before I've really dived into all these other teams, looking at what they have on the roster for this next season and just skimming things over, I think A&M is the most likely win out of these four games. So with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that you all thoroughly enjoyed it as always. What are your thoughts on all four of these games? These same games where South Carolina were blown out in 2021. Which game do you think is more likely for the Gamecocks to flip into the win column in 2022? Do you think it's the Texas A&M game like I mentioned? Or do you think it's a different game? And do you think maybe there's some things that I did not mention that are going to be important for any of these games? I want to hear your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. But if you're listening to this on audio podcast apps, wherever you get your podcast daily, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to any replies or comments I get from y'all as quickly as I see them. And of course, if you've enjoyed the Locked On Gamecocks podcast and you want to get more on the entire SEC conference, then make Locked On SEC your second listen every day with host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On taking you across the SEC in just 30 minutes. So again, make sure to make Locked On SEC your second listen, of course, after the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. So once again, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope that you all have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll catch you all in the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.